Romans 12, verses 9 through 15. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You guys know what's hotter than this day? Hell. So with that, turn in your Bibles to... Just kidding. Um, just kidding. No, we're, talk, we're talking about friendship today. Uh, <laughs> totally different, right? So, uh, hey, we're in the middle of this, this series that we're calling Relationship by the Book, right? Just kind of looking at, at different uh, relationships uh, that we, we want to answer the question, like, what does the Bible say uh, about uh, these relationships? We've talked about uh, the marriage relationship. We've talked about parenting, parent-child relationships, uh, and, and today we're looking at friendship. And when I say the word friend, what is it that, that comes to mind for you? Like, what does the word mean, mean to you? It, it used to mean, the word friend used to mean that you shared, uh, uh, it's somebody that you shared this meaningful and mutual bond with, like usually involved a certain level of like camaraderie, maybe a shared mission. Uh, but today, the word uh, friend is a little bit more squishy, right? Like, it's a little bit more nebulous. Like, social networks probably contribute uh, a lot to this. Like, actually, according, if you go to dictionary.com, you'll see that the definition for the word has changed in recent years. Uh, they've added to that that the word friend can now also be a verb, which means to add someone to your list of connections on a social media website, right? Uh, but when someone friends you, all right, when they friend you on Facebook, when they friend you on, on Instagram, like, like can, you, can you call them a friend in the true sense of that word uh, as, as we've always known it? Like, do they really know you? Like, really, really know you? I mean, sure, you can discover a lot just by scrolling through uh, my page, right, and swiping through. You can find out who my wife is. You can see how many kids I have. Um, you, you can see which side's my good side, right? This one right here, by the way. Um, but knowing all these different facts about me uh, doesn't actually make up the full story of who I am and who God is making me to be. It's not friendship in the deepest and truest sense of that word. And the thing is, for you and I to survive, for you and I to thrive, we need the kind of friends that the Bible speaks of. Uh, some of you guys uh, um, know that this week, uh, like uh, J.R. Tolkien's name was kind of like a little bit in the headlines because of uh, Amazon Prime's like Ring of Power uh, show that, that came out. It's supposed to be like the... Uh, what is it, like the most, what did they describe it as? Like, it was like, the, there you go, most expensive TV show ever made, right? Um, and, uh, and it made me, uh, it made me think of uh, his group of friends, Tolkien's group of friends called the Inklings, right? It was a group of writer friends uh, that he started uh, with C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, they would meet at the local pub for what they called pints, pipes, and prose, uh, uh, we could get behind that, right? And then they were friends. 
And the, the group was known for their skill in writing, but also for valuing deep and meaningful friendships. They would say they value deep and meaningful friendships just like they used to in the good old days. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves. How many of us can describe friendship as that? The happiest, most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, he says, in comparison, ignores it. I think the reason that we find this kind of friendship, the reason that we find true friendship, deep friendship, biblical friendship, so difficult and rare in the modern world is that we, we just rarely experience it. We've been nurtured by a culture and by a generation that tells us busyness and self-protective autonomy is where it's at. And so you only look for friends who are useful for you. They, have, they serve some type of like utilian purpose, right? You, you only will be friends with somebody if they're useful to you. Like, hey, will this person get me ahead? Will they give me what I need? Or you'll look for friends who are amusing to you, right? Will you be entertained? Will you have a good time together? Right? Or you'll look for friends that you share some affinity with, right? Uh, some shared affinity, like you live on the same block, you work at the same job, you root for the same team, uh, but there's no real depth there. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have some form of friendship uh, with people that are you find in those regular rhythms of life. As a matter of fact, we're going to uh, talk about that next week when, when, we, when we look at how, uh, what the Bible has to say about our relationship with our, our neighbor. What I'm saying is when it comes to true friendship, the Bible calls us to so much more. It calls us to something so much greater. The general principle is that the greater vision that you, you have for your relationships, the stronger the friendship. The greater the vision, the stronger the friendship. And there is no greater vision, no greater pursuit in life than to get to know the God who gave us life. You see, the deepest friendships are found in and shaped by God himself. In John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples, his closest friends during his earthly ministry. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, which is the most important relationship to him, all I have heard from my father I've made known to you, I've made known to you, my friends, my disciples. You see, God is in perfect community, in perfect relationship, and in perfect friendship with himself as a trinity, our triune God. And we are invited into that as Christians. We are invited into that in Christ. And you know, you know what that does? Is it turns the church into this incubator for the most meaningful friendships, the truest friendships we could ever have. And so what should these relationships look like? I think fewer passages give us a clearer blueprint for biblical friendship than Romans 12. Romans 12 names several key factors that are central to true friendship. Uh, there's a lot of them, but we're just going to highlight a few of them, all right? I'll give you the outline on the front end. It's that a true friend comforts, a true friend sharpens, a true friend honors, and a true friend prays. So let's look at that first one. Number one, a true friend comforts. Where do we see this? Romans 12, verse 15. 
where Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Now, when we read the command to rejoice with those who rejoice, I mean, I think we think to ourselves like, all right, yeah, I can do that, right? That sounds easy. Like, who doesn't enjoy a celebration? At least that's, that's, that, that's where I go, right? Like, who, who doesn't like to party? If you have something to rejoice in, then let's celebrate together. I'll bring the dessert. But the apostle calls his readers to do more than share in their joys. He also calls them to share in their sorrows, to weep with those who weep like Jesus did with those who mourned and with those who grieved. I think for a lot of different people, their emotional life is driven really by their their personality, by their shape, rather than the person of Jesus. Their emotional life is more shaped by their personality than the person of Jesus. And so they're they're either one or the other, right? They're either the rejoicing friend or the weeping friend. The rejoicing friend is like somebody who's like always happy right? Always looking on the bright side of things, always optimistic. Sometimes they make up Bible verses of encouragement that that aren't like really there. They just want to encourage you. And so they make up Bible verses of encouragement. Like, hey, when God closes the door, he opens a window, right? Nowhere in the scriptures. They don't know what to do with bad news. And so they'll try to like change the subject or end the conversation when you share something uh, bad, when you share something sad, because they don't, they don't want to be bummed. They don't know how to deal with any of that. And so you always call them to tell them the good news, but never the bad news, because they don't know how to handle that. The weeping friend, on the other hand, the weeping friend is someone who's like always bummed out, always bummed out. They're always sad, always a downer, always an Eeyore right? Always listening to a Smiths album or playing like Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. on repeat. Uh, Or if you're Oscar, you're probably listening to Tom Trebert's Blues by Tom Waits. When you have a rough week, though, the weeping friend, they're the one who says, yeah, like, mine sucked too. Mine was hard too. And you're okay with being bummed around them because they know how to commiserate, but you can't share anything worth celebrating because you feel like, I don't know, they might rain on your parade. You see, if you're emotionally unhealthy, if you're emotionally vacillating like that, you can't really minister to other people where they're at. You just hope that they meet you wherever it is that you're at. But the Christian should be so emotionally grounded and secure in Christ that you can then truly rejoice with those who rejoice, that you can truly weep with those who weep. This is what we call the ministry of presence. It's a ministry that says, hey, look, I'm I'm here with you wherever it is that your heart is at. If you're having a good day, I will celebrate that with you. If you're having a bad season, I will weep with you. I will sit with you. This is the nature of true friendship. John Calvin explains, he says, what is meant is that we, as much as possible, ought to sympathize with one another, and that whatever our lot may be or whatever it is that life throws at us, each should transfer to himself the feeling of another, whether of grief and adversity or of joy and prosperity. And so when your friend rejoices, you see that as a win for yourself. When your friend weeps, you would rather sit next to them and grieve with them than than gaze sympathetically from, from, from a distance because that's easier or more comfortable. Number two, A true friend sharpens. 
A true friend sharpens. Where do we see this? Earlier in verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine, he says. What he's, worrying, what he's uh, warning about, rather, is a love that is not genuine, a love that's counterfeit, a love that does not abhor or hate evil because uh, that kind of love is just easier to dish out, right? But what we need are friends who, by their word and by their example, they encourage us actually to, to turn from our sin and to turn, and to turn back to Jesus, let me be the first to confess and admit that like confronting a friend on sin is hard. Sharpening a friend can be hard work. Like it feels like you're gambling with relational currency, right? It feels like you're gambling with your relationship because there's a risk involved, isn't there? Like, hey, am I going to lose this friend? Will they hate me after I say this? Will they not want to hang around me? Like, what if I'm wrong about this situation? Will it, will it then get awkward? And if it does, will our friendship ever recover from this? And I think that it does require some wisdom, some time and prayer, some discernment, but to perpetually and ongoingly ignore sin for the sake of love is not really true love at all. It's not what Paul calls genuine love. It's a counterfeit love, a hypocritical love, a love that is not genuine. Proverbs 27, 17 says it this way. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man or one friend sharpens another. Most of us know that one. You see, true friendship is more, it's a lot more than just the steadiness that says, hey, I'm not going anywhere, no matter the ups and downs of life. True friendship is also this active, participatory investment in another person's growth. Earlier in Proverbs 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, you've got to love someone so much that you're willing to tell them the God-honest truth, even if you know it's going to hurt them for a bit, because you're more concerned about that person's long-term holiness than you are for their short-term happiness. The goal is to make each other sharp because God wants us to be sharp. He wants us to be useful. And left to ourselves, we get dull. And God wants to refine us. When Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, that word faithful can also be translated trustworthy. I love how the CSB translates it that way. Trustworthy are the wounds of a friend. In other words, you can trust, you can truly trust a true friend when what they're saying hurts because you know that this is not someone who wants to delight in tearing you down. They're not the kind of person who, who loves to tear you down, but this is somebody who's willing to do the uncomfortable work of iron sharpening iron, even if the sparks fly for a bit, because they believe and they see who God is making you to be. They believe in the person that God is making you to be. I mean, think about it. We've all, we've all got blind spots, right? Every single one of us. You want to know what my blind spots are? Can't tell you. That's why they're called blind spots, right? That's why I surround myself with men and, and women along with my wife who, who love me, 
who encourage me, who, who even like appreciate uh, my gifts, but they're not, they're not too impressed by me that they, they can't confront me or they can't say hard things. They know that they have the freedom to, to call me out and, uh, and know that, that I'll listen, right? Just a minute ago when I was asked to turn over to my wife and I'm, I was like, hey, like if I unbutton the top two buttons, like am I, is this going to look, it's like hot up here. And then, and then Kelly just behind us, like really lovingly just laughed, right? <laughs> uh, right? I was like, man, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should be insecure about this. <clears throat> but it's so hot. Yeah. You see, and this is also why the author of Hebrews encourages us to stir up one another towards good works. You see, a true friend believes in what God wants to do through you, the good works that he desires to do through you. A true friend is who wants to make you participate in making you a better version of yourself. Here's just a little pro tip to keep in mind, all right? This requires having the type of friends and being the type of friend where you're just all open and honest about the mess in your life, right? It's okay for us to be messy. Because if we're not okay with that, then what we end up doing is we end up putting up walls, right? What we end up doing is because of shame and because of guilt and because we think it's not okay to not be okay, that we start to protect ourselves from one another. And so to have this kind of relationship, to have this kind of friendship, we need to be okay with putting our mess out in front of other people. But listen, if the counsel that you always get in return for your transparency and honesty, if the, if the counsel you always get in return is, is always reassuring and always sweet, or if on the other hand it's always clashing, then that's not a real friendship. What's going on is emotional exploitation. One person is using the other person for something, or you're both doing that, right? Only a true friend has a type of wisdom that only the Spirit of God can provide to bring both the type of encouragement and the type of sharpening that will help you become the person that God created you to be. The truth is, this requires wisdom, and it will be difficult at times for you to be the wise and faithful to the end friend. But you need that. You need that in your life. You need friends to help purge you, to help challenge you, and to help counsel you. And look, when iron sharpens iron, there's friction. Sometimes sparks can fly. And what you need to know is that there's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. A true friend is somebody who's willing to, in the short term, hurt somebody, even if, like, even if what they're saying like, might, might, might hurt for a bit because they're ultimately for that person's good, for their well-being, for their flourishing. There's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. There's a difference between feeling loved and actually being loved. You see, Jesus, he loved everyone perfectly. 
He loved everyone perfectly. And some people, they hated him for it. They hated him so bad that they hung him on a cross for it. You need to realize this. You need to know that there is a difference. And so find people. Find the kind of people, the kind of friends who can be there in your corner corner for you and with you, who can encourage you in your strength, but also aren't too impressed by you that they can't be honest about your blind spots and your weaknesses. The culture we find ourselves in today tells us the opposite, right? We live in a hyper-individualistic culture here in the West. It tells us, hey, you know, you don't need other people. You just do you. Live your truth. Be self-determined you. You can have that kind of individualism. You can have that kind of extreme autonomy that culture encourages, or you can have authentic, loving friendship, but you can't have both. Are you willing to let others press in? Are they willing to let you? Are you a safe friend that they're willing to let you? And are you stirring up one another towards love and good works? If you don't have a friend like that, let my encouragement be to you is that that a good place to cultivate this type of friendship is in your home group, right? Maybe in your season of life where you need to gain new kinds of friends. We work really hard. Like we just met with our home group leaders the other night, um, and, and and we talked about the kind of the kind of culture, the kind of vision and values that we have as as uh, home groups to to cultivate the kind of safety, the kind of grace, the kind of hey I'm with you and for you sort of mentality and posture to make this kind of friendship possible. Friendship shaped by the gospel of grace. We've seen this flesh out in our own home group. As the seasons have gone on, we've seen walls come down. We've seen people become more comfortable sharing their mess and find healing and praying for one another, encouraging one another, sharpening one another. So how about this? Let's, let's just make that commitment to one another. Let's remember that Jesus is for our holiness. He's for our sanctification, our growth. Let's fight for long-term holiness together. That will require us being open and honest and transparent about our own mess, about our own sins. Because, And we're okay doing that because we, we all know that we're messed up, right? We know that we don't have to posture. We know we, we don't have to put on a front. We know we're messed up. We know we want to be sharpened. And then without any judgment, let's just love one another in that safe space. And when we do that, when we do that, when we provide that kind of friendship by the grace of God, it resonates as a witness amongst other people who also seek a safe and welcoming place or community. All right, number three, a true friend honors. A true friend honors. We see this in verse 10 when the apostle says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You ever have a person in your life that always feels like they need to compete with you, right? I mean, man, in, in, this, in this place that we live in, in like middle class, Orange County, suburbia, like we, one of the places you see this is like with parents, right? Parents are the worst at this. Like, oh, your kids just learned how to do that, right? Like, like my kid figured that out a long time ago. And some people aren't looking for friends to love. They're looking for foes to compete with. 
we're here, we're here to complete one another, not compete with each other. And if you're the person who always has a critical spirit, you might think what you have is discernment, but what you really have is a problem with pride. You see, we're so bent towards pride that sometimes there's entire churches who make an entire identity out of criticizing the other, right? They criticize other churches. They criticize other people who are not like us, right? They'll even take the scriptures, right? And they'll, they'll brutalize them. They'll manipulate them. And instead of using them as a source of life, they use them as a weapon to tear others down, to puff up their own self-righteous image and to look down on others. But you can't love somebody that you look down on. You can't. I mean, we see this play out in politics these days, right? Like you can't, like you got the one side that like is always talking about the other side. Like earlier this week, I was, uh, um, I was watching uh, I was flipping channels, looking at the different news stations, and on Fox, they were talking about like, oh, like Biden's so divisive, right? He said this and this and this in his speech, right? Then you go over to, to, to CNN, and they're like, oh, did you hear Trump's like response to like Biden's speech? He said this, that he's so divisive, right? It's like, like everybody, like you're always hyper polarizing. And like the politicians, like they know that, that we love to fight right now. They love that people love polarizing hot takes. Those are the things that go viral on social media, Right? Right? People love speaking into their echo chambers, right? Getting all the likes, getting all the little angry emoji faces and stuff like that because, because we live in a polarizing society. And without paying attention, we don't even realize the algorithm is changing us. The algorithm is discipling us. The algorithm is shepherding us to see the other as less than ourselves. It's where we don't look across to those who are different from us, but we actually look down on them. But look, man, we're all made in the image of God. We're all made in the image of God, and we also, which means that we all have dignity and value and worth, and we also all have our blind spots and our dark spots, which means that we're all also a mess and sinners in need of grace. You see, true and biblical friendship eliminates any form of competition. Never looks down, but always reaches across. Instead, we're called to honor one another above ourselves. That's how the NIV translates, verse 10. And whether we're the product of hyper-individualistic Western thinking or competitive sports conditioning, like we tend to brood competition instead of cooperation. Bitterness and cynicism instead of, of, of honor. Maybe some questions to help make this personal is, um, how do you respond when you're engaging with somebody who's in the tribe or camp other than yours? How do you view them? How do you value them? Or how do you respond when God blesses one of your friends in one of the ways that you wanted to be blessed? When they get the job that you wanted, when they get the relationship that you wish you had, the ministry you think that you were called to, right? The PR that you've been shooting for. Do you respond with bitterness? Do you respond with cynicism? Or do you honor and celebrate them? Have the Spirit of God, invite the Spirit of God to so reorient your heart that the competitive to an urge to outdo your brother or sister 
is replaced with showing honor. This is actually the only verse that we're actually encouraged to compete in. Is he says, hey, outdo one another in showing honor. Make a game out of it almost, right? Make this your aim. Outdo one another in honor. Outdoing one another in honor isn't just the alternative of competition. It also means that you're actively looking for evidence of God's work. You're looking for evidence of God's grace in the lives of the friends that you have. You get to know their strengths, and you encourage them in those. You get to know their weaknesses, and you encourage them through those. And you honor them relentlessly and rejoice in the shared hope that you have. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. So let me say this. We, we want to be... We want to be the kind of community, the kind of church that does what God has called us to do by celebrating evidence of God's work and his grace in the lives of one another and honoring one another as a true friend. Lastly, number four, a true friend prays. A true friend prays. We see this in the rest of verse 12. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient, tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. See, when you understand true friendship, when you understand what God has called you to in being a true friend, that'll change the way that you pray. That'll deeply affect your prayer life. Sometimes we buy into that individualistic approach to faith that the Western world uh, thrusts upon us, where our only concern is like, I'm concerned about my growth as a Christian, the way that God blesses me and my family, my progress in holiness, my calling in ministry, my growth in giftedness. We pray that God would enable me to grow and to prosper. prosper. But true friendship, biblical friendship, will cause us to pray for, for others, to pray second-person type of prayers or third-person type of prayers. We pray that, that we would grow. We pray that we would turn for sin. We pray that we would unite in our calling, that we would use our gifts well. We pray that they would be blessed, that they would grow and prosper. And sometimes we get so just involved in and consumed in how others are not living up to our standards and prejudices, and then we neglect to even pray for them in a spirit of love. I had the opportunity to reconnect with an old friend uh, earlier this week. Um, it's someone I haven't talked to in like years. Uh, somebody that uh, at some point, and even in recent history, um, I felt just deeply uh, hurt by and betrayed by uh, some years ago. Uh, just got news uh, that this this friend was uh, moving out of state uh, and uh, had a chance encounter with this individual, um, asked if we could talk, and, um, you know, just, just gave me an opportunity uh, to say, like, how much, in spite of the hurt, in spite of just the messiness and brokenness of the situation, uh, how much, like, I, I miss this friendship that, that we once had. Huh. Man, we ended up having this long conversation, ended up uh, praying for one another. Uh, 
And this brother said, man, I can't tell you how much this conversation like means. He's like crying, weeping. And he said, thank you so much for taking initiative. Uh, he said, thank you so much for being having the courage and the faith to like take initiative, to reach out to me. He said, this, this conversation was a gift to me. If you spend more time listing another person's faults than you do praying for their holiness, then you don't love them the way that Christ would have you. This doesn't mean that you pretend away their sins. That doesn't mean that when there's been real injustice done against you or against a loved one, that you pretend that that doesn't matter. But if you're more consumed by someone's faults than you are in, in what God could do, then man, you're robbing yourself from the ability to share and the love that Christ has for this person. And look, it's the entire body of Christ. It's the entire church, not just me and not just you. It's all of us that we need to grow, and we need to grow together. Like, God wants us to grow together, and he wants us to contribute to each other's growth through our prayers, too. Man, if you look at every single time, almost every single time that Paul prays in the New Testament for another church, He's praying for their growth. He's praying for their sharpening. He's praying that they would turn from sin and come back to Jesus. Do you make a regular rhythm of praying for the friends in your life? You know who's really good at this? Um, is Brian Seitz. Uh, he's at a family thing, uh, the emergency that came up today, but... Um, Brian, he's got this app on his phone where he writes down prayer requests. If you're in like his home group or one of his buddies, like you know about this because what he'll he'll often do is like this app will like remind him through different times throughout the week. Uh, hey, like pray for pray for Chris and the leaders at the church. Uh, pray for the guys in the home group. Like he'll get these notifications at different times and different days, uh, and sometimes he'll take a screenshot and send it to me and be like, "Hey, man, I just wanted you to know, like I'm praying for you." Right? Do you have that kind of just brotherly and sisterly concern for others? Are you praying for the growth of others as much as you're concerned about your own growth? And when you show up to church on the Lord's Day, on the gathering of the church like we're doing right now, when you, when you look around, you think, I'm going to pray for these people this week. For the person that like used to sit in this seat that I miss, and I don't know how they're doing. I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if it's like something's gone on, if it's been difficult for them, or like how their families, like I, I don't know. And so I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to see what I can do for them. I wonder how that one guy's doing with that job situation. I wonder how she's doing with that struggle. I wonder how this other person's doing with that, that illness, with that treatment. I wonder how that family's doing. This is the kind of friend that the Lord calls us to be. Someone that is present and comforts. Somebody that is willing to sharpen and be sharpened. 
someone that's in the business of honoring and lifting up others, and someone who leaves it all in the hands of our God through prayer. Now, why is it, in conclusion, why is it so hard for us at times to be a true friend? Why is it so hard for us to be this kind of friend? I think it's because in some sense, in some sense, we don't want to be. We're selfish. We're self-protective. We're self-preserving. We're busy. We're more concerned about ourselves than we are about others. And so we run away from both the friends that we need and the friends that need us. We're blinded by sin, only pursuing friendships as long as they satisfy our own wants, our own desires, and our own dreams. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to comfort others because it, it drains our personal time and energy. We don't want to sharpen others because we'd rather enjoy casual relationships that are always easy than risk going deep. We don't want to honor others because we, we want to be honored ourselves. And we don't pray for others because we're too busy thinking about ourselves. But when we turn to the scriptures, what do we see? We see that God is so wise that he knows the bent of our hearts. He knows the inclination of our hearts. And he confronts us. And the good news is he will not leave us as our selfish selves. The Bible that reveals how imperfect we are is the same Bible that points us to Jesus who saves us from our imperfections, who saves us from our sins. The same spirit that convicts us also calls us to live selflessly with others in a community of faith, to be a true friend the way that Jesus was. John 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, the greatest friend we've ever had, the greatest friend that ever was, is Jesus himself. The great king of all kings, the great lord of all lords, is also the friend of all friends. And he's the chief friend of chief sinners, like me and like you. And Christians who bear his name are now called to befriend others because he is the one who first befriended us. So why is a Christian called to be a comforting friend? It's because Jesus was a comforting friend to us. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief himself. Why is a Christian called to be a sharpening friend? It's because Jesus was a sharpening friend, refusing to let us think that unrepentant sin can continue on. Why is a Christian called to be an honoring friend? It's because Jesus was an honoring friend who came and humbled himself, giving up his own power, his own privilege and position so that we might be lifted up. Why is a Christian called to be a praying friend? Because Jesus was a praying friend who even prayed for his greatest enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is he true friendship? It's hard work for sure. It's lay down your life kind of work. But Jesus did so much more than prove himself to be the perfect friend. He did more than just model true friendship. His cross is the very foundation of it. 
There's nothing stronger, nothing deeper, nothing truer, and nothing more secure than the rock on which his community is built. Jesus is the foundation, the rock of the church. Let him be the foundation of your friendships. He's the one who created them. He's the one who reconciles us, and he's the one who can sustain them. Any other ground is just sinking sand. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.